You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you joining us once again. And we are coming to you live from our Austin, Texas studios with Renee Vormhaupt from uh, CEO and co-founder of ASM and performance coach at the Royal Dutch Football Association. Welcome, Renee. Thank you, Thomas. And before we start, I just want to give a, a bit of a shout out and a thanks um, to the Netherlands Business Support Office, uh, specifically B. Um, Coltheist, uh, for making this possible. So you've come in all the way um, from the Netherlands uh, here into sunny Austin to speak with us today. Thank you. Yeah, it was quite a, a travel. <laughs> quite a trip, but uh, another plug here for, for the Netherlands is that KLM's doing direct flights from uh, Amsterdam to Houston, to Austin, yeah. or and, Houston. and Austin as well. Is that true? Yeah, okay. there you go. So I'm pretty sure it is. I could be wrong, but you know, Houston's down the road, so Texas. Uh, and great to have you joining us here. We've, we've got a lot to talk about. I, I kind of want to give you the opportunity because you wear many different hats, as I said, ASM, um, which is Athletic Skills Model, and then the Dutch Football Association. But Renee, if you could just give us a bit of an overview on your career thus far, uh, how you've reached this point, and then, the, as as I said, the hats that you wear. Right. Yeah, it started uh, to to become an athlete. <laughs> it started that I like to play soccer and I like to do a lot of sports like like judo, like basketball, like tennis. Uh, baseball and at the end uh, at the age of uh, 17 18 i was asked for a soccer team ajax in amsterdam to play there uh, and after that uh, i stayed at a very lo- i stayed there a very long time uh, after two years uh, it was clear i was not good enough to perform at the first team but i stayed there after i was educated as a phys- physical therapist and I stayed there for 25 years. In the last 10 years, I was uh, at the technical staff, the performance staff. And in 2012, I had a transfer to uh, the national team. So uh, I'm for 10 years working for the national team and all the tournaments we have. So strong background in football, soccer, um, for the locals here in, in Texas. and and on the performance side and, and what, so obviously working in that space and, and in the high performance roles, and, and we'll talk about that in a second, but um, can you share a little bit about uh, your other, other hat that you wear with athletic skills model? Yes. Um, after the experience I had with all, with, with the versatile development, I thought that uh, the players at the, the soccer academy at Ajax weren't really trained to become an athlete. They were trained to, to become a, a soccer player, and that's different, I think. Uh, and in the beginning of 2000, when I worked for the Youth Academy, I met a Professor uh, Geert Savelsberg at the University of Amsterdam, Movement Science, and he showed me a lot of scientific scientific research from from US, from Canada, f- from different places in the world, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, and it showed that there, there were a lot of advantages of becoming an athlete in a diverse way and then end up in that specific uh, specialization. So from that point on, I was thinking, how can I make a structured program um, and put it into a model? 
so that uh, the adaptive ability has a main uh, is a main element in the development and variety uh, is the other uh, main element in in the model uh, at that time i realized that that's quite a difficult <laughs> situation where you combine all those uh, basic movement skills and conditions of movement and coordinative abilities into one model but at the end uh, we created that model and we wrote a book about it uh, with a lot of scientific background and in 2018 we uh, transferred that book into english uh, and at from that moment on it started to become bigger especially the non-linear uh, pedagogics is a very interesting element from which we look at the development of uh, kids, uh, ado adolescents, but also adults and elderly. So for us, it's all those benefits from uh, that diverse way of movement uh, are not only interesting for the top, uh, for, uh, for children only. And those advantages are more aimed at uh, not only a better performance, but also uh, more creativity and more uh, fun, less dropouts. And at the end, uh, one of the things I like uh, a lot is lesser injuries, because variety is an element to get lesser injuries. And we always think about uh, intensity and uh, volume, but <laughs> variety is a very interesting element. And so can you share a little bit more about that? I love that phrase, uh, training athletes to be athletes rather than, you know, and training football players to be athletes rather than just training them to be football players or soccer players. Or I think of a, we just had Wimbledon just gone and um, tennis players is, is one of those areas that um, from, you know, four years old, two years old, <laughs> whenever, whenever the parent can cram a racket into their hands, they just put, play at tennis. Uh, and that's why you see a lot of burnout in that sport. And you're seeing a lot of people retiring young um, because of mental burnout, physical burnout. Um, so I think it's kind of pertinent to talk about now. And what is the actual, the the athletic skills model? Like what does that look like in terms of the, the concept behind it? Um, and then what does it look like in practice? Yes, you have to define the word, um, the word versatile movement we defined it in 10 basic movement skills, like jumping, landing, uh, balancing, falling, climbing, scrambling. Um, all those elements are important for your spatial awareness, or for your rhythm ability, stuff like that. So coordination is one of the main elements of being an athlete, I think. At the end, you build around it more strength, more power, more speed, more endurance, stuff like that. But in the beginning, it's being an athlete in the highest level when you have extremely qualities in coordinative aspects. And when you look at uh, an athlete, elite athlete, um, the specific elements you need are very important. You need to train them off, often, depends on the sport, often very early. But when you skip certain skills, basic movement skills, you might also skip the ability to perform better, to develop a better quality in coordination. 
And that's what I think happens when you look at all those basic movement skills and you use them in a certain ratio, in a certain way, depending on which sport you do. So if you play tennis, not all 10 basic movement skills are involved. And the five, six, I don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm just putting it up, but let's say there are five elements in it. Those five elements are also from a very specific point of view developed. So the catching is not really developed in tennis. And catching is a very interesting element. It's, it's kind of a reverse uh, throwing. And all those elements are gonna help you and not by doing them like catching in baseball or it, it, it's, it's far more than that because at a certain moment the, the, the program, the educational program we try to plan is that you really go from one step to another. And that's what I call a concentric development of that basic movement skill. So not only from that point of view, but from different angles, you try to develop that basic movement skill. And that's the easy way to develop all those seven elements of coordination I introduced. So that, that the adaptive ability, the coupling ability, the reaction ability, the rhythm uh, ability, all those elements are very important to develop. And you, you can develop them by doing more basic movement skills and not only that specific basic movement skill you need in that sport. And at the end, you can use in the analyze, analyzes the, the basic movement skills to introduce different transfers of learning. So not only the skill part, but also other parts. So what are some examples of, I guess, movements or skills that you've worked with your athletes at Ajax and then at the, the Dutch national team that wouldn't fit that kind of classic idea of, of what soccer training or football training is, you know, kicking and dribbling and running and things like that? What are some, I guess, some actual um, examples you can illustrate? Obviously, a podcast isn't the best medium. It would be easy to show a video, but if you can it, tell, us, uh, tell us some examples. Yeah, for instance, uh, an athlete I used to work with was called uh, Slatan Ibrahimovic. He was an athlete from Sweden and he had a background in Taekwondo. And his Taekwondo abilities made him very difficult to defense because he made patterns players didn't uh, recognize very soon. He was very... Uh, Agile, he was flexible, very stable, and he could kick in many different positions, also with the back of his foot. Uh, he scored a lot of goals that way. Yes, Latan is a great example. I mean, that, that overhead um, volley that he scored uh, for Sweden, I think it was against England, was just... Phenomenal, and it's interesting. I didn't know any about uh, his Taekwondo background, but you look at that, and that is something straight out of martial arts. Yes, we see that uh, there's a high correlation between uh, someone who's good in balance and his performance. But balance is also um, a big issue. You can train it in different ways, like climbing balance, uh, balance in the air, uh, balance on wheels, um, balance on supporting one leg or on your hands. Um, all those types of balance you need to train 
to come better in balancing and falling, which means if you have the ability to fall like Slatan, he was not afraid to fall. So it does, doesn't matter for him in what options he choose. He, he doesn't need to realize what's going to happen when I hit the floor. So you make different decisions in your, uh, in, in your technique, in, in your skills. Uh, and then suddenly it's, a, it's an advantage that you don't need to care about where you will land and how you will land. It's you're going to go for that ball and the skill will finish and then we'll see later on. So that's also uh, a, a transfer from a different perspective that martial arts, for instance, can really help in transfer to become a better, in this case, soccer player. Yeah, and is that something within the high-performance world? Um, obviously, you've had a lot of experience there and at a very top level. Is that well-received in the world of high-performance or is it one of those things that as with new ways of thinking and new technology, it's, um, I, I guess there's some resistance or is it something that people are at the top level at least are willing to embrace? We, we see by, uh, we see that many athletes in the top have a diversified background and, uh, that makes it very easy to do a lot of different things because they're capable of doing it and they like it. Uh, a lot of uh, soccer players like to play pedal, for instance. So it's easy to implement it in that way. But I implement it because I need the structure behind the development, like the feet work or the quickness of the eyes or uh, working uh, together uh, in the team. Uh, the thing is that in the academies, a lot of coaches think that all the hours I have I have to put into soccer because that's going to make them a better soccer player, which is true, which is true. But if you leave all those skills and all those transfers behind, um, you won't get all out of it, I think. And is that, and the, so looking in the European context, what age are the athletes in academies? Well, they start early. Um, sometimes they start at the, at the age of uh, four, five, six, uh, uh, parents tend to bring them to special uh, soccer training uh, uh, academies, and it all will help. And it really will. But if you look at the child, for instance, in this case, a child needs to explore and needs to do things in a playful way. I think and. So the deliberate play is a very interesting element and, and children tend not to play outdoors anymore that much as they used to do because of all the facilities, the, the, the tablets and, and the, the computers, the phones. So we need in our organization to implement also extra skills which and extra games and extra playing time to become to let them become better in their, in their sport, if that's what you want. And what role does technology have in all this? I mean, your time at Ajax and then um, the national team and, and from what you've seen um, implementing this, how can, how can technology help? Well, technology can help by measuring uh, the impact of what you're doing, the intervention of your plan. It, uh, it makes it more uh, invigorous what you're doing. Uh, it's not the 
the belly only, you know, it, that's important, I think. For fitness, it's more common. How high can you jump? Uh, how long can you do it? How fast can you do it? Uh, for competences, it's, it's a lot more difficult to measure that. Coordinative uh, aspects are more uh, interesting to measure, I think. Um, but for, for me as, as, a, as a coach in f for the national team, uh, we collect a lot of data of all the guys we, we, we play with. And at the end, all the data we get from the teams, uh, from all those teams from Liverpool, Barcelona, Juventus, all those teams, they collect data, we collect data. And the, collect the data is not, is not the main drive where we put our strategy on, but, uh, but you can look at it and it will help you to look for solutions and look for better programs. So within that, you said that the technology is not that good at uh, measuring the competencies, um, as you said, you know, things like uh, hand-eye coordination, ball skills, more the knowledge stuff around that as well in terms of decision-making, things like that. What do you think the next wave of technology you would like to see is? So for any startups or founders out there that we have listening that are developing their solution, they're looking to throw, uh, sell in to, to, um, to these areas, what do you think the need is? What is the gap? Well, you see, a lot of people ask for, uh, is it scientifically proven? And that's always very difficult difficult as you know I mean it could be practice based or uh, it could be a proven concept uh, uh, but really to to do it in a scientific research is always very difficult always very difficult to do but the next step um, I would like to see is that we understand more and more that doing more transfers doing more skills will help you become healthier will bring you less injuries. And I must say, a lot of those research already exists. So it's, from that point of view, strange that we don't accept that research and implement it in our uh, program. But the, f the, the reality is that we all brought up at our school or academy in a way that you ha when you want to learn that, you have to learn it here. And it's, it's never the way that you learn it far away and you implement it here. So we are more, more educated in a way. As that's, that this is a very, uh, this example uh, is used a lot. But when you're young and you, you learn to lace your uh, shoe laces, and that for a certain shoe, you can do it with every shoe. But if you learn to open a door with a handle, you can open that door easily with that handle. But what happens if there's a knob or, or you have to shove the door or if it's a turning the door? Then it becomes complicated to find a solution for it. And that's a, f that's a far transfer, as we say it. So at a certain moment, uh, we need to realize that near and far is just as important to become a better mover and become a healthier person and at the end for some a better athlete and what application does this have beyond 
professional sports. We've talked a lot about um, youth sports and the academies coming up and then, you know, all the way up to, to Zlatan. What, what does this have beyond just um, professional sports level? One more time, the question. What's, what are the applications outside of pro sports? So if we're looking at, say, aging populations or we're looking at just everyday people trying to get more out of their, uh, their movement and their lives... Well, perhaps it's not that easy to uh, to find a talent at nine years old. Perhaps it's impossible. There are always there are always uh, talents, diamonds you can't miss. You know, the, the, the some people, some children, from the start you realize this is going to happen. This is going to be a great athlete. He's going to be fast or whatever. But most of the talents uh, have to be developed. And the development is a long, long way. It's it's a jungle, and it's you cannot, in my opinion, uh, expect that everybody uh, who's nine years old and you put into an academy becomes a pro athlete. It's impossible. We still do it, but it's impossible. So most of those athletes grow up in a totally different way. They play tennis they play this they do that they do different things they they have been cut off they are everywhere and at the end they come back most most imp- most famous example is uh, is uh for instance uh, michael jordan of course until the age of 17 18 he was not really seen as that talent he did a lot of other sports i understood uh, and at the end he became a high-level athlete. So there are several scenarios possible. And most of them are concentric developments, not linear. So it's important that, I think, academies leave space open for that those other parts of development that parents should understand. Those other parts of development are very important and perhaps crucial to end up as an athlete as an elite athlete that was an answer on your question that that was not the that was not the answer to my question but it was no it was a good answer though because it was about that that transfer still and um i mean jordan's a great example because he went off and he rode the bus he tried to play baseball and um i think there's a famous quote him talking about he would have played golf as a career um if he if he found it earlier in life uh, instead of going with basketball but I was I was more talking about uh, in terms of an aging population. It's something that most um, Western democracies aging, aging, okay. old people, geriatrics. You know, right. um, baby boomers that are that obviously huge uh, population explosion post World War Two. Most Western democracies and Western countries are going through that. How do we deal with this elderly population that is? wanting to live longer lives or right. are living longer lives but want to live healthier lives, want to live more independent. How do we help them with that, with with staying in their own homes, being self-reliant? And a lot of that is is physical movement. How do they actually move around? How do they stay healthy? How do they stay out of, you know, hospital or, or whatever else um, due to injury? Um, which is very... Very different, but very similar, as I understand it, to how do you treat a nine-year-old soccer right. prodigy um, right. looking to go pro? 
So is it is it taking those the, I guess those movement fundamentals and then applying it to that end of the spectrum as well? Yes, that that doesn't change quite a bit in in my opinion because when you're older you need the same health elements as when you're younger. But what what you see is that the older people get the less uh we ask the less uh risk we ask the more comfortable we make it for them uh and training is about overload and elderly people are not get often placed in an overload situation and then i mean physically socially and mentally which means that uh, I think we need to t- to ask more in program uh, and in movement for elderly people. Which means that we have to challenge them in climbing. And o- of course, at the level which is possible and doesn't <laughs> uh, get them injured. You're not putting uh, grandma on the climbing wall and no. you're not belaying her up, <laughs> up the wall. It's, it's something a little bit smaller, yeah. Yes, but but it's not a regular thinking, a way of thinking that elderly should be uh, also doing throwing, kicking, scrambling, romping, fighting, stuff like that. Uh, we, we start most of the time with balancing and falling when people are old. But you have to start at a young age and keep on doing it when you're in your adult age. And the programs for elderly should be far more uh, diverse, far more steps in overload, and far more combined with uh, with social elements, which are very important. And at that point, you see again the benefits of a diversified uh, program, less injured, more creative, more fun, so more compliance. They're coming back again because it's fun. Um, and at the end, better performance. And the better performance is not about higher and quicker, but that you're self-providing all the stuff you can do at home. And uh, you put, hey, what I said, you can put your socks on and you can stand up from your chair, which are which is all very important. Yeah, and, and definitely an area that I'm pretty excited about in the human performance space with technology, because I think that obviously a lot of tech that is used around um measuring performance and biometrics and stuff like that is focused on professional sports because it's cool, it's sexy, and it's it's obviously um, it's needed in that environment. But the human body, far and the same, is, is very similar. It, it's just at different stages, you know. A, a, a pulse is a pulse, a, a muscle movement is a muscle movement. And, and I think um, applying some of these technology solutions to those markets... Um, one is just a, a much bigger market. There's more old people in the world than there is uh, professional soccer players. Right. Uh, but also, it, it's, it can be life-changing as well. It's, it's just got this added element of it's, um, it can truly be enormous for those elderly people wanting to live better quality lives. Um, I think at that, kind of that end of the population. Right, and you can, you can use that movement for more social interaction and that's a simple way uh, and the the more social interaction people have a a richer social life means often a healthier life 
and movement is a very interesting simple element to to start from but not just playing football or just basketball or just which is very well and very good if it happens but if certain programs look more for that diversity in basic movement skills you have that extra layer which is very interesting for all for elderly yeah yeah definitely and I mean, we're coming up on on time here, but I wanted to ask a uh, bit of a right turn from the conversation we've had at the moment. And this is, uh, I guess, for companies looking to sell into um, teams versus national programs, and you've worked across both. So what are some of the main differences that you've noticed between working within a club environment, a team environment with Ajax, and then for the national team? Well, in a club environment, you see them every day. So the programs you make, the steps you make in, in testing and in implementing skills and uh, technical, strategical elements, uh, it's a day-by-day work. On the other side, when you're with the national team, you only see them like 10, 12 days and in a tournament like four or five weeks six weeks you hope <laughs> uh, so for the when you look at the national team then it's more difficult because they come in with all the programming from their home team so you don't want to interfere that much in that program because that's a long-term program but you want to influence them because you see things and you analyze things. So it's more an influencing part you do than really making the programs for them. Uh, And realizing that the clubs are the owners. So they bring in the 24 Ferraris and they have to get back without a scratch. (laughs) That's a great, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. And interesting because I I, I would guess and it makes perfect sense, but then from the outside in, you think, well, playing for your nation, that's, you know, wouldn't that be the owners? But really, as you say, it's, that is, the national clubs are on tournaments, on whatever that is, however, you know, cycle that is and, and gearing up before a, a big tournament like um, like the World Cup or something like that. Um, but it's, I just love that analogy of the, the Ferraris that are, that are there bringing without a scratch and, and it's an appreciation that you can have coming from the club side um, into, into that and uh, certainly something that is a balancing act I think um, and you see in, in say the US where a lot of sports here won't actually, the professional leagues won't let their athletes go play or if they do it's, it's very finely managed um, and it's left for the kind of lower level amateur levels to, to step up for that because for exactly that reason they don't want to have injuries. No, <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, well, f- for me, um, the big change the last five till five ten years is that it became much more transparent. So uh, there's a lot of communication with my colleagues at the clubs. Uh, we share data. Uh, all the things we do with our team, with our national team, all the data is shared with the clubs. We see what all the all the guys are doing just before they arrive. We know exactly where we are. Uh, 
So it's it's never leading, but it's always a very important element uh, for making the schedules and the training programs. But the transparency, that's that's a real new new thing. Well, that's that's great to hear. And coming back to athletic skills, um, where do you think the growth of that is going to come? Do you think it's it's in the US? Is that is that where you're looking to land and and grow that? And I guess spread the good word of um, the positive results that are coming from this? Yeah. When you look at my background, and I'm still in soccer, and uh, we're going to Qatar to do that tournament, and then there's a World Cup in the United States. So that experience, I thought, would be interesting for the U.S. Uh, But what also could be interesting is the fact that I have some kind of a proven concept at a club at Ajax. I already did it. And we saw pretty good positive elements from that. I thought that it might be interesting to implement such a structure in sport, even though I know that sport in the US has a very high level of everything. So I know my place in that way. But still, I think that this model, uh, that structured variety based upon diversified movement, combining all those five transfers of learning is still a very interesting concept because then it's not just doing some sports. No, then you can implement it in your development. And you can do that at a team, but you can also do this at a lower coaching level. And it doesn't matter what sport because you analyze the basic movement skills and it's the principle behind it, which you're going to be, which which is applicable. And when you look into my heart, I must say that healthcare is my (laughs) Mm. main element from where I started uh, when I did my study. So I still think that the, the, the care, the health, the lifestyle elements are very important which means that uh, I'm not a constructor I'm a designer so I design those playgrounds which can be used if you understand it by all those different sports but also by elderly but also by children but also for physical therapy for rehabilitation uh, but also for uh, uh, individuals or um, companies who start CrossFit or whatever there and there are existing a lot of social interactions instead of a field only for basketball or a field only for soccer or a field uh, or a skill, a slide, you know? When you combine it all together, all ages are getting there and there there exists another energy. And these are some, um, we'll uh, include a link to it in the show notes, but um, uh, some fields that um or fields is, is the wrong wrong term but are training grounds that take all these elements that you've described and then put them into a practical setting so it's kind of creating bringing into the 21st century so to speak um what is what is used as a training ground rather than it's a big right. empty square of turf or or uh, right. concrete or whatever it's actually got um, and we still know that the brains of that coach are the most important because on a flat square uh, concrete you can make the best practice in training that's not a thing but if we enrich an environment and look at what 
can we do more organizational stuff uh, besides uh, the, the, the stuff on the field, for instance, uh, for soccer? Yeah, you, you look at the basic movement skills, you analyze and you see, hey, no, no climbing, no scrambling, uh, different types of balance, uh, no hitting and aiming, hey, uh, soft floors where you could do some gymnastics and judo exercises. And suddenly the coach needs to be an expert in several things he might not be educated at, which means that you have to cooperate with other coaches who can deliver th those skills at that age or in that methodology or in that step. And that cooperation is a very interesting element uh, because to become better soccer players, you need to cooperate with different sports and to get that expertise in the house. And the expertise is not doing the judo stuff, of doing the Australian football stuff. No, it's the skills you learn there from those five competences or for those five transfers of learning you're going to implement in your soccer training. And, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely put the link because I've seen it before and it's um, it's very hard to describe um, uh, over a podcast, but the video kind of wraps it up and it's it's something that when I first looked at it, the analogy that I have is when we talk about uh, teaching and schooling is understanding that a lot of teaching and schooling, um, at least until recently, has been based on what it was like at the um, Industrial Revolution when people started coming out of workhouses and you had kids and it was just going, all right, we'll teach you these basic things and you will have one-hour blocks of instruction and you will sit in a classroom with someone speaking at the front. And it it's been shown that that's not how people learn and especially not how kids learn. And then you think about a lot of athletic training is a similar way, which is you just have a coach up the front yelling at you to do um, some sort of basic movements for that sport that are very, very linear. They're very, very, uh, it's rote learning. It's, it's just this kind of plotting structured thing. Um, and you're not learning and developing and being mentally challenged physically challenged as you said that creativity so to my mind this is kind of the analogy that i see to that is is bringing coaching and the idea of athletic performance and movement into the 21st century right and i still want to say that the things we do and, and the things you explained those elements are still good you know and it's not that we shouldn't do that anymore but we should complement it with uh, additional elements in a structured way which makes it very, very nice to do for the athletes. Very nice to develop yourself in that way. But it means a different way of thinking of all those coaches who have been doing it themselves and are doing it still. But those coaches have to realize that when they were young, they were playing differently. They, they did those seasonal sports. They, they played outside. They did all those elements uh, which are very interesting uh, for that development. And we should realize that, we should realize two things, I think. First, we live in a different time. And the second is, if we still would have lived in that area where we did all those things, it would be still interesting to look at all those skills uh, which are supportive, uh, for that final, for that final elite uh, athlete in whatever kind of sport. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's 
that's probably a good note to end on. And, and thank you so much, Renee, for your time. Before we go, I'd like to ask you one last question, which is what is your favourite sporting moment of all time? Favourite sporting moment of all time? <laughs> okay. Um, that, that's that's, that's a, a difficult question. I was thinking about, and I show it a lot, about that guy Simpson in American football who who flips over in the end zone and uh, shows to me that he made a transfer from free run into American football and it's it's such an interesting metaphor I think that I like to choose that one. That's great. If if anyone hasn't seen it, the uh, on right on the end zone, the guy goes for the tackle and he just does a front flip clean over him and lands. Two feet planted in the end zone, touchdown. Uh, it's pretty. It's incredible to watch. Yeah, yeah, and it shows that it's interesting uh, to learn some something far away and implement it in your specific uh, sport, and it makes you creative. Well, there you go. That's very on brand. I, I was thinking it was going to be something to do with like Johan Cruyff or like something something else. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, throughout Dutch history in terms of um, famous sporting moments or successful ones. Uh, a lot in speed skating and cycling and, and hockey outside, but definitely, and volleyball, but um, definitely football. Uh, there's a lot of highlights for, for the Netherlands. There are certainly a, a lot of highlights, but uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm still in that context of the athletic skills model. <laughs> <laughs> there you go well thank you so much for your time Renee it's great to have you uh, in Austin yeah. in Texas and uh, on Sports Tech Feed so thank you for joining us yes I, I'd like to to add um, uh, Christian Speckreiser is my colleague he stays in uh, Galveston and uh, it's good to know that uh, we have a partner from the athletic skills model in Texas there you go. So we'll uh, we'll include some links there. And again, thank you to the Netherlands uh, Business Support Office. We've done a lot of stuff in the past in in the Netherlands in Amsterdam, and we've got great partners there. And um, it's always great to support uh, international business in sports and sports technology. Thank you.